Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I'm joined by Tara. Hello Tara. What's up guys? I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's the MCU but phases one and two. I did not realize there were this many Marvel movies until I started looking at the list because... This is a lot of freaking movies. It is. Now, today, the list isn't so much, and it's one of the reasons we divided the episodes into phases, because Marvel has chunks of movies, including their TV shows, actually, in the later seasons. Or seasons, wow. That is good. It does feel kind of like a Marvel season five, right? Well, especially if you have to watch some of the TV shows to understand the movies, which almost seems they could have made the shows another movie at some point, you know? Yeah, and we'll, and we'll, we'll touch on that, too, but... Marvel has divided their story arcs by phases, but what they do is they will announce anywhere between 5 to 10 movies, sometimes 12, and it usually ends with one big team-up movie. The Avengers movies usually last because everyone who's been introduced comes in and you get to see all the heroes you like and so on. The first three phases are the Infinity Saga. It was all building up to That's true, yeah. The actual, yeah. Yeah. And then phase four, we know they're setting up Kang the Conqueror. But other than an appearance at the end of Loki, he hasn't really been present. And Loki, again, is not a movie that's a series on The Loki TV show. Correct. If you don't have Disney Plus for some reason, then you don't watch Loki, you don't watch WandaVision. You're not going to understand some of the parts in, say, Doctor Strange 2 or, you know, throwaway lines. You're like, I don't get why they mentioned that. Why is she looking for these kids? She doesn't have any kids. Well, that's the obvious one. WandaVision sets up Wanda having children and then Doctor Strange starts with, her looking for her kids, and and if you don't have Disney Plus, and if you haven't seen the show, so she had kids in Westview, and now she doesn't have kids in Westview. Okay, that clears that up. Except it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get into that failure in the next episode. But <laughs> right now, this episode, we're talking about phases one and two together, and we will be eliminating all but three. And today's films are Iron Man, Iron Man Two, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America: The First Avenger, The Avengers, Iron Man Three. Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. So that is building up to Thanos, but not quite yet, because there's little bits of the Avengers initiative, but Guardians was the first one that really had Thanos hinted at, I think, or even in the show. Um, Phase one was only six movies, and they were building towards the Avengers. Gotcha, so that's the end of phase one. And of course, when they started, it was a big gamble. Phase one and all the way back in 2008, I don't even know if they had the term phase one yet. That really didn't come in until the Avengers when Captain America sees what S.H.I.E.L.D. is secretly planning with all of Hydra's weapons that they have in storage. It's referred to as phase two. But when the first group of movies came out leading up to the Avengers, it wasn't called phase one. That didn't come around until Avengers was so hugely successful. Because you have to keep in mind, this was a multi-hundred million dollar gamble. Marvel was a failure. Marvel, as a comic book company, was nearly bankrupt. They were desperately selling off rights to their characters. That's why Marvel sold Spider-Man to Sony. Sony didn't license Spider-Man. They bought (laughs) Spider-Man and all 600 characters from the Spider-Man comic books. Now, they did come up with an agreement because Kevin Feige sat down with Amy Pascal at Sony and said, hey, never mind the red tape. Wouldn't it be cool if Spider-Man is in an Avengers movie? And they were able to hash that out. But back in the 90s, Marvel was borderline dead. They were on the precipice of completely shuddering. It's kind of hard to think about it now because Disney and, I mean, I'd say Lucasfilm, but they're part of Disney. Disney at one point was very much like Marvel where they they were desperate to keep going. They weren't quite bankrupt, but there were so many parts in Disney's history where they were literally bleeding money. They almost shut down their animation division in the 80s. It was Little Mermaid that saved them. Yes, so same with Marvel. Nowadays, we know Marvel and Disney as these, I mean, I guess they're kind of together at this point. Well, they're together now, yeah. Yeah, as these powerhouses that might produce crap, but they produce million-dollar crap every year. But pre-2008, even with Iron Man coming out in 2008, it was a big risk, and the fact that Iron Man took off was kind of like Marvel's Little Mermaid. It saved them. I'm going to slightly disagree with the term saving. You're right, but it's just such a different thing. Film is so different. But just to double back, so Marvel licensed Blade to, I think it was Time Warner back then is what New Line Cinema was owned by. Mm -hmm. They licensed all the X-Men characters to Fox, which is why Fox was making so many bad (laughs) movies. They licensed the Fantastic Four out. Also horrible movies. And then they did sell Spider-Man as far as film rights to Sony. And so 
Marvel decided to take a huge risk and borrow hundreds of million dollars to start movies. And the first two movies that they planned and filmed basically at the same time were Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk. They were taking a huge make it or break it sort of risk on film. And Iron Man ended up opening to $100 million and was a massive success and beloved by many. And yeah, so it did save them, like you said. Mm -hmm. But instead of saving Marvel, the comic book company, they took a risk on making film. It's almost like McDonald's making a completely different product in order to save the McDonald's company. It's, it's, It's a strange choice. But it worked. If it hadn't worked, if it hadn't paid off, we wouldn't be sitting here discussing Marvel. Maybe didn't like save them entirely, but it pulled them up enough to realize we have a new option. Mm-hmm. Because pre-2008, all the kind of stereotypes of superhero comics, they're for nerds, they're for geeks. But after 2008, it was more acceptable for Iron Man because he was, you know, much beloved by almost everyone, I think, right? Yeah. And what you're saying is true in that it added a legitimacy to comic book movies. And this comes in waves because it happened with Superman in 1978. Mm-hmm. But then it didn't happen again until Batman in 1989. And then it didn't happen again until X-Men in 2000 and Spider-Man in 2001. So about every 10 years, audiences are reminded that comic book movies can actually be good. Iron Man was the first one that came out, right? They both came out in 2008. Iron Man was May. Incredible Hulk was July. And it was another two years before Iron Man 2. But it, it kind of paid off. I mean, nowadays, similar to Star Wars, we're just so flooded with Marvel that A lot of people like me kind of checked out at some point. We get back into certain deals, but other times it's like, oh, here's Thor number six. I kind of checked out too. My impressions of most people, it's phase four that did it. I'm fine with standalone movies. I'm I'm kind of tired of this connected universe thing. Uh, That's kind of too much. Just one at a time. I think Age of Ultron is one of the biggest failures of the MCU. And part of the reason is, is that so much of that movie is either setting up or wrapping up other movies' storylines. Add little things here and there, make us feel like they're connected, but I feel like what's the point? It feels like treading water in Phase 4. To be fair, at this point, Marvel, like I said earlier, they're printing money. But when Marvel is producing these movies and they're still opening to huge amounts, I don't know what the last movie opens to. They're all pretty big. I think a simpler way of saying it is they're pop culture now. They are pop culture. They will probably never go back to the, you know, kind of skulking in the shadows of, oh, man, I like this really cool thing, but you've probably never heard of it. It's worth pointing out, too, though, that the comic industry is still struggling. Part of it, too, is because print media, magazines, books even, they're all dying off, which is better for trees, I suppose. Comic books have been dying for decades. Sales have been dropping and dropping. Graphic novels are getting popular. I read graphic novels, but I don't read comics. And Mm -hmm. the difference is one is 30 pages, one is 150 you may as well get the one that's going to, you know, tide you over long. Yeah, graphic novels story. are usually printed on better paper. They're usually bound better. They usually look better. And I don't want to wait a month between issues. Like, people <laughs> complain now. Like, I don't like binging TV shows. But people complain now about having to wait a week between episodes. Like, God forbid we didn't spend 70 years doing that anyway. But I don't want to wait a month between issues just to complete a 100-page story. Yeah, I don't think I ever really read comic books. I did get the graphic novel Weapon Brown, but I got the first three comics to that before the, the actual graphic novel came out. I know there's comic book stores, but I'm sure they make most of their money off of like Funko Pops and movie posters. You're probably not far off, to be honest. Part of the reason I wanted us to talk about that, though, is because, at least initially, the comics shaped the movies. And actually, once Iron Man took off and the Marvel Cinematic Universe took off, the Marvel comics started to be written in a way where it looked like they were trying to set up films. Basically, the comics were pitches. Got the storyboards and everything right there. Already got the dialogue. Exactly. I worry that the film company shaping the comics side of the company might cause creativity to falter. People aren't being given an opportunity to be more creative in comic form because there's no risk. You write a comic Mm -hmm. that's bad. Sure, they sell us issues, whatever, but nobody's going to rage rage tweet about <laughs> some issue of some comic they don't like. No, nobody cares. You basically have a clean slate to be as creative as you want with very little risk. But that's not going to bring in all the money on the big screen. You're not going to be able to make all the uh, the toys, the t-shirts, the Halloween costumes. I'll admit, I love Marvel movies. I, I mean, I love movies anyway. Yeah, I was going to say. I watch all of them. I watch the DC ones. I'm not a DC hater. It's just... Warner Brothers, who owns DC, their executives don't understand comics, and they keep making bad movies. I don't hate DC because I love Marvel. Oh, you're just a Marvel fan. You you can like both of them. This is not a competition. I I like good movies. I like bad movies, too. Shit. (laughs) You don't have to, like, if you 
like DC, that doesn't mean you have to hate Marvel. You can like both of them and still dislike the bad well, that's, movies. That's the age we live in now where in order to prove you like something, you have to say you hate something else. I do have problems. I do hate how over time the Marvel movies uh, cinematically all look the same. Should we actually get to the list now? Since we've been talking for like a good 20 minutes about Well, everyone Marvel. knows what these movies are about. So we're not going to... I don't know how long this episode is going to be, but it's not like, not like we need to get into the plot. I'm not going to be let's like, oh, like- Whiplash, I don't understand his motivation. I would say let's start with the first one, but Iron Man, everyone loves Iron Man, so we'll just push that to the side for a second. I already mentioned that Age of Ultron is a failure in my opinion, so let's go ahead and skip to that one, if that's okay. Okay, works for me. The second to the last of the Phase 2 movies. For some reason, Ant-Man is considered part of Phase 2. Or Wikipedia is wrong. I don't know. But you would think <laughs> you would think Phase 2 would end with Age of Ultron, right? That's where it should be because the, the end of your phase, like the end of this, the, a season in a show. So you want to have go out on a bang kind of deal. Well, speaking of going out on a bang, Age of Ultron, the Hulkbuster fight sequence where Iron Man is in the gigantic Iron Man suit, mm-hmm. the Hulkbuster, and he fights the Hulk. I don't know if choreographed is the right term, but they went to Michael Bay to help create that sequence. <laughs> We need more explosions, and we need to have lots of booms. Well, Who do we want to hit? Well, we should probably hit that guy that did Transformers, that one. I mean, you're not far off, and it looks great. It's a great sequence. And this is one of my things that I kind of want to ask you about with Age of Ultron. It's not very enjoyable. I don't like going back to it, but it has so many things to like. They added Elizabeth Olsen. This is where she joins the franchise, the Scarlet Witch. I love James Spader doing the voice of Ultron. He is great at the voice, but dude... Looking at Ultron the first time, I thought, huh, if there's a Michael Bay influence, it's how Ultron looks. He looks like a Transformers reject. The moving metal mouth is so weird to me. Like, Just put a faceplate on him. We talked before about how reality is the reality that the movie establishes. But my brain just can't get past a metal mouth moving. I don't get it. You know the physics aren't right. <laughs> and I know this is a movie with like witches and, and space gods. I love the voice, but Ultron himself... I'm still kind of laughing at at the idea that Tony Stark, who, yeah, he decides to make Ultron because why exactly did he give a reason? He says- Besides besides his narcissism, let's be honest. No, it's because he went into that portal at the end of the first Avengers Mm -hmm. and he has post-traumatic stress. They explore it more in Iron Man 3. He saw the end, essentially. And it does sort of come to pass. I mean, Cap Shield is destroyed. Yeah, but a self-fulfilling prophecy is not a reason to make a robot. That is going no, to and we've no human emotion is complicated. So he had he had a traumatic event and a vision, and so uh, not the robot, not the vision. robot That's vision funny. that came out later. No, I mean that is Age of Ultron vision. He which had is a vision. Another thing to and like. Then he had another vision. So that, that's that's poetry. Adding vision, rhymes. adding vision to Age of Ultron was smart. He wants to, as he puts it, put a suit of armor around the world. Knowing him, that might actually be literal and not metaphorical. I don't know, but he was trying mm. to protect the world. So the best way to protect the world is to make a robot that has Tony Stark's narcissism and no clear off switch. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> Question, I hear your sarcasm. Does, um, is, does the Terminator franchise as movies exist in the Marvel Universe? Because I'm going with a no on this. I think there's a Skynet joke somewhere. Someone else pointed out that in uh, Avengers Endgame, Tony Stark calls Thor Lebowski. Yeah, and Jeff so. Bridges is in mm-hmm. The Big Lebowski, but Jeff Bridges is the villain in Iron Man 1. So it's like, does Jeff Bridges exist in the yeah. Iron Man universe? Is that a, wait, how does this... <laughs> yeah, okay. and he just happens to look like like Obadiah Stark or I mean, Obadiah whatever his name was. <laughs> Not Stark. Yeah, that would, um, that, that, that's a new twist. Huh? That, that's yeah, Iron no, no, Man no. 4. Um, but no, he's trying to protect the world. And yeah, no, even though you said it in a very sarcastic way, it's true. Making an AI... Does actually make sense. Never mind Skynet, whatever. Mm-hmm. I do wish that they had explored the idea of Ultron replacing himself a little more. It's somewhat confusing. Like even though I know what they're doing, mm-hmm. even still, I'm just like, yeah, that's a little weird. I just wish they'd. I just wish they'd explored it a little better, a little more clearly. Trying to wrap up a bunch of stories plus set up another phase. What turned me off of Age of Ultron, besides that, was Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. As soon as they popped in, I was like, okay. These are X-Men. I know X-Men are in another movie, right, another universe. You I mean, have, first... You, you, you have Quicksilver who dies by getting shot, which maybe when I first saw this movie, I actually had to stop because I was laughing so hard. We have the fastest dude 
in the universe and he got he dies because he gets shot like seriously yeah, that's how and scarlet witch is i hate to say this but those two characters do not fit in the movie they're dumb i don't like them okay just because they don't fit in with anything and their motivations don't make any sense they're not necessarily used very well in the film they're not given a lot to do and their lifelong hatred of tony stark goes away very quickly when they see what ultron's doing but to be fair he essentially wants to wipe out the entire planet of humanity. That'll change someone's mind pretty quickly. But yeah, it is suddenly like, oh, we're, we're just going to be good guys now. But it's not satisfying. We're, the going word to, I use. we're going to swap over really quick. But then again, the fact that they hate Tony Stark so much in the first place just made me go, okay, I get comic book logic, but you hate the dude who built a bomb. We, we hate it so much because we just saw the word Tony Stark while we're hiding in our living room with our dead parents' bodies. Really? You're, you're going to blame the guy that actually made the gun and not the guy that actually shot him? Well, again, human emotions are complicated. These characters, they spent two days in the rubble staring at a missile with his name on it waiting to explode. That's traumatic. Oh, yeah. I'm I, not saying it's I, not. But... I buy that completely. I have zero issue with that. I think just the involvement of the Maximoff twins in general in the movie turned me off entirely. Anytime they're on the screen, I was like, you guys shouldn't be here. And if you are going to be here, Magneto better show up in the next five minutes. I would have actually been down with that kind of multiverse crossover. I think that was too early for Marvel to do. Back then, Fox owned X-Men and Disney yeah. didn't own Fox yet. You can argue that you didn't like them, but they added them because just like with Thor, Marvel very slowly introduced otherworldly characters and ideas. And so uh -huh. adding a space guy with a hammer, he had to have the explanation that what you call magic, we call science, which is enough to sort of dismiss why there's a flying hammer that he can summon. And then they added supernatural powers with these two characters. And now we're at the point where Captain Marvel can just fly around in space and nobody cares. Like, they couldn't start the first movie with somebody just flying on their own. Like, we had to, we had yeah. to see Tony Stark practicing and learning and, and using, <laughs> using what is arguably, quote, real. Like, mm -hmm. it's real. It's a science. It's a robot suit, you know. Yes. And they very, very carefully introduced bigger ideas. I hate to say boring when it's so explodey, but... Yeah, there are a lot of things to like in it, but I didn't care much for it. And they had to cut a whole bunch. They cut all of that weird stuff with Thor going into that pool and having a vision. Yeah. A lot of setup and the payoff is pretty much, okay, Ultron's gone, but now we have vision and now on to phase two. Well, phase three, actually. I'm going to cut it. And yeah, well, obviously, yeah. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. Ultron himself is kind of cool, but... I want to cross off Thor The Dark World as well. This is the one I, I hinted at earlier. Is this like the Cars 2 from Marvel? <laughs> sure, I, I understand that. Saying, I understand it, that comparison. It, it, it's kind of their their low point when the first movie did so well. I'm sure there's somebody out there who is not listening to the show who loves <laughs> Thor: The Dark World, but I think <laughs> Thor Two is the bad one. It's the bad one with Black Widow a close second. Thor Two is not good. It's terrible. It has one of the worst villains. This and Marvel has helps, Marvel right? has a, yeah, and Marvel has a villain problem anyway with these these sort of one and done one off villains. Other than Killmonger and of course Thanos, their villains aren't great. They show up, they cause a problem, they get killed, and that's it. Pretty much, yeah. But the Dark World, I don't know if nobody wanted to be there. I don't know if it's because <laughs> they have um, they had a television director who worked on a lot of Game of Thrones. It's boring, for one, and I just don't care about anything that's happening in it. And also, too, Thor The Dark World is where they really started this stupid Marvel trend of fake-outs. Like, uh... fake-out deaths. And I'm not saying that I want them to kill off a bunch of characters necessarily, but stop lying about it. They did it with Nick Fury in Winter Soldier. They did it with Loki several times. And even when it's not like a purposeful fake out, like a character tricking somebody, but where the character comes back because Loki dies in Infinity War, but he manages to come back and get his own Disney show. That's why there was no tension for me for Infinity War because I knew, oh no. They're going to undo it. Black Widow is one of the ones who, you know, quote, really dies, but then she still gets a prequel. And so even though the character, yeah, as far as we currently know, is still dead, the actor and character still came back in a separate movie two years later for crying out loud, just kill them off. Let them stay dead. We don't need everyone to have, oh, I came back because of magic or because of a wish. <sighs> but anyway, I don't like Thor 2 at all. There's a really neat sequence with the portals at the end, but overall the movie is just a drag. It's a bore. I've tried rewatching it and I can't even get through it again. I I'd rather watch Age of Ultron again and even then that's not saying much. Well, I don't hate Age of Ultron. It's just super disappointing and I don't care for it. Thor 2 is bad. It's the bad one. All I remember about Thor 2 other than the elves showing up and me thinking, hey, those look like Hot Topic elves. I'm kind of vaguely, <laughs> okay, now they're just kind of dumb again. That's the one where 
We see Loki in his cell and everything's nice and pristine. He's just kind of standing there like, yeah, I'm kind of bored. And then he drops the illusion. Yeah. And you that's see. A one, that's the one good moment. Yeah. Like everything is trashed in his cell. He looks like a mess because he's found out his mother was killed. That's the only interesting part of the movie. I like that people like him and that his character is successful. But if you go back to the first Avengers movie, he himself killed like 60 people before the portal opens <laughs> and New York gets attacked. And then they go out of their way because people like him to make him kind of a good guy. And maybe it's an all is forgiven kind of scenario, but... But Thor never really forgives him, though, does he? Oh, he's always whining and going back to his brother. But I, which Thor movie is it where they have their back and forth and even Loki points out, okay, we always do this. I betray you. You act surprised. We get back together in the end. Everything's fine. That might have been Thor Ragnarok. And I think Thor like punched him in the face or something. Like, oh, okay. I think Thor reached his breaking point. And that's not even a breaking point when it's done for comedy, though. That's, that's not a true. breaking point. Like, like when you watch the Loki TV show... Part of my issue with that is that that Loki in the show is the Loki from the ending of Avengers 1, where he is still currently supposed to be a villain, but in the Loki show, he's acting like the Loki from the rest of the MCU. That's just the disconnect I have with the Loki show, because that should be the villain version of the character, not the version that Taylor Swift would date. (laughs) I would cross off Thor the Dark World with zero issue, and hopefully not to piss off too many people, but... The other two that I really have a hard time watching are Iron Man 2 and 3. There are some people who think Iron Man 3 is the best one. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm not even complaining that there's hardly any Iron Man in it because they purposefully took him out of the suit for a lot of the film. I just don't like either of those. I I can't do it. (laughs) I've tried. I can't. I think the big problem besides the stories with Iron Man 2 and 3 is that Iron Man 2 came out two years after Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. But then Iron Man 3 came out after the Avengers, right? Right. One thing I have with something like the Avengers, okay, you've got all the good guys, they've all come together, they've made their their stand, woohoo, we're, we're a team now. Any superhero movie that takes place after that, my first question is always, why aren't you calling your superhero friends to deal with this? They've made references to that, and while I understand, I'm trying not to fault that too much. I get it, because it's kind of like the show Heroes, if you remember that. Yeah. They, they, had a, they had a character on the show named Hero, mm-hmm. who could travel through time. Once you have a character that can time travel, there's no real risk anymore. So they had to keep finding ways to take his powers away from him. Yeah. Thor could show up in any one of these other movies and just with lightning and a hammer, just obliterate the threat. And there you go. Kind of have to just let that go because otherwise there's no movies. Like I, You don't have to call like Hawkeye or Black Widow every time, but maybe I should call up my friends and say, hey, anyone you guys want to come help me beat up this crazy guy? No? Okay. Yeah, no, I'm glad they don't do that. And I kind of like when movies have smaller threats, like the first Ant-Man movie that we'll talk about. It's not about the world ending. We have to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's not just a dude who's going to blow up a building. He's going to blow up a continent or the whole world or the universe. Yeah, there's going to be a beam into the sky yeah. and like a portal opening or something like that. And as soon as we kill the head drone, all the little minions are going to fall down and die too. Which did not make any sense to me in the first Avengers movie because they were organic creatures, but whatever. They sort of get painted into a corner. What can you do? Like once you introduce all these characters with all these powers, how do you have anything that's a threat anymore? You just make them bigger and bigger with more beams of light. Yeah. In Iron Man 3, though, it's just a corporate villain. I was amused by the Mandarin twist. It's just, I don't know. I just, I don't know why Iron Man 3 rubs me the wrong way. And 2 is just boring. That's like the worst thing to say about a a movie that's big explosion superhero. When you're sitting there going, okay, I got 60 more minutes of this. Oh, speaking of, actually, Iron Man 3 has another fake out. It has Gwyneth Paltrow falling into the burning fire pit or whatever. She falls off the thing and they do the death fake out. But they filmed it in a way that's convincing. But that part of your brain, having seen Marvel movies, knows yep. like there's no way. There's no way. Come on. There's Yeah. We've seen enough fake out deaths that a real death actually has impact. But the fake out deaths just make you go, oh, probably not. Um. So dropping Iron Man 2 and 3, not much of a problem at all with that. Yeah, I liked uh, Mickey Rourke as Whiplash. I don't care for the storyline of Tony Stark being a drunk. I don't care about any of that. There's a positive bone here. Guardians of the Galaxy. It came out after Iron Man 3, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by this time, my mom and I were pretty much superheroed out. Guardians comes out, and I really want to be there for when they had the pitch movie for this, when someone sat down with the producers and said, hey, look, we're going to have a talking raccoon and a talking tree that says three words, and that's it. But this movie's going to be great. If mm-hmm. you're the producer, how do you sit there and say, so they're not even going to be on screen. They're just going to be CGI animals. Mm-hmm. We throw it on. And the opening scene she's watching because it's got, you know, Peter in the hospital. His mom is dying. It's very sad. And she's sitting there looking at me like, 
you think this is funny? This is horrible. Oh my God, this is a depressing. <laughs> and then it pops into Peter Quill as an adult. It was like a switch went off. My mom is in. She's like, hey, wait, this is a different movie. These are actually fun characters and you start liking it and the soundtrack helped a lot, I'm sure. The fact that it was not tied in to all the other Marvel stuff was amazing. Yeah, no, it was very entertaining. I'm a huge James Gunn fan. I'm a Troma fan, and he started in Troma writing things like Tromeo and Juliet, these trash <laughs> movies. Guardians is so creative every little bit with all of the weird alien characters, the space adventures, the space cities, like when they go to nowhere. The world building he does in this movie outside of the established MCU is so incredible. Cool. I would compare it creatively to The Fifth Element. Precisely, yeah. It almost is The Fifth Element in the terms of this is a whole new galaxy, not to drop the name there, but... And because it's, at least at the time, essentially outside of what had been established, you're introduced to all new characters, and it's not easy to introduce five main characters. And I like all of them. I like Drax and Gamora and Rocket and Groot. Groot doesn't say anything, and he's hilarious. Now, I guess you could say they have the, the fake-out death with Groot, but it's not really a fake-out death because he does die. Um, that I mean, I think that does count as far as what but I was complaining it's, about. it's a different Groot that grows from... That doesn't matter. It's still the it's, same thing. It's, it's a complete lack of permanence, and it's still Groot for every other movie afterwards. That's, I guess that's fair enough. The one thing I will say about Guardians that was kind of difficult, it's the villain setup for me. Ronan the Accuser, which just sounds like a weird name, from the point of view of a linear story... Trying to go, okay, these are all brand new characters. I don't know any of these guys walking into this movie. Figuring out, okay, this is the minion who works for the bad guy. That I get. But how they set up what each villain wants is kind of hard to follow at first. Oh, it's pretty clear to me. Because Ronan the Accuser, because of the backstory, I mean, maybe... What backstory? You're walking into this blind. There's no backstory you know about him. No, no. No, they they say in the film that Ronan wants to destroy worlds. And by working with Thanos, he can destroy whatever the name of that planet is that Glenn Close is on. I like him because I like Lee Pace. I think he looks amazing. Oh, the costume's awesome. But he's very just deep voice, I'm bad guy. They don't give them much to do, and that's an overall problem. No characterization. But as far as story, Ronan is on the side where he hates these other people, and he doesn't abide by the peace treaty that's in place. He's a bad guy, but there's no real characterization besides what he's doing. He wants to blow stuff up, and my first question is, why? It is plain, if your argument is that it's it's not very exciting, then sure. But they say that he hates the other side of the argument, so to speak, and he wants to kill all of them. See, that makes sense. I do remember the Glenn Close character, and she's talking with, I'm not sure what Ronan's planet kind are called, but she's talking with one guy who pretty much says, yeah, he's not one of us, and just ends the call. Is he Kree? I, I think can, he's Kree. Because the Kree are the one that are fighting the scrolls or something. I forget. With Captain Marvel explains it a little bit more. My only issue with that is that with introducing so much new stuff, I still don't get the motivation other than he just wants to. Well, if you're looking for a deeper meaning... It's uh, a Marvel movie, I know. No, 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 not even that. The problem with looking for deeper meaning is that he is a radical. That was the word I was trying to think of radical, earlier. Radical, there you go. And you can't explain why someone's a radical in a way that makes sense, because then you would agree with them. I, I mean, I like Ronan. I think his look helps, and he's almost like, like a golem, not golem. Basically just a look. He's not so much a character. He's more of just a look. Yeah. Soundtrack's good. I think the soundtrack is what actually got my mom into the movie because it's not just the first song and it's not just some throwaway thing. It's, you know, that's what's on Peter Quill's Walkman. The quips, characters, the banter, it's so amusing. And even now, like, Guardians, I can go back to over and over. It's never lost its luster. If it's on TV, I will sit down and just watch it because there are so many great, fun moments in it, especially the very end. I did like the sequel hook. It was just a single line. Where Yandu mentions, oh yeah, I'm glad I didn't take the kid to his dad because that dude's a dick. Yeah, it's enough to make you wonder, but it doesn't take away from the film. You're not left unsatisfied, but it gives you that little bit of, oh, like you kind of just think like, okay, what does that mean? It is a cute little, almost a throwaway line until you see the sequel, but it's perfect where it's it not is. Like, yeah, it's not like Terminator uh, Dark Fate where, <laughs> where they purposefully set up stuff that they don't answer just because of an intended sequel. There's not a lot of interaction between Yondu and Peter in the movie, but what we do see, it's pretty freaking hilarious. Even when Quill pulls one over on him, all Yondu does is kind of laugh like, yeah, he, you got me. You're a good kid. Honestly, that's a very good movie, and I enjoy watching it all the time. So. Yeah, Guardians is pretty great. I'm going to cross off Thor and Ant-Man. Now, I do like the first Thor. I actually like it quite a bit. 
I have found that most people who like part one don't like part two, and people who like part two didn't like part one. <laughs> For Thor, really? Of Thor, yeah. Because they're, they're relatively different. And Thor yeah. Thor is almost like two separate films. You have the Asgard Shakespearean stuff, because it was made by Kenneth Branagh. And then you have the half of him on Earth. Yeah. There's not a lot of action in it. At the end, they just blow up a, a street in New Mexico. But I actually like part one a bit. His frosted beard is weird. You can tell that his beard looks strange, like they were trying to figure out what he's supposed to look like. Yeah, it's very kind of early installment weirdness there with that. Yeah, yeah, almost like when you go back to Simpsons season one and nobody sounds quite right. Or you watch like the, the very first few episodes of Game of Thrones, and you're like, wow, why, why is Tyrion got like bleached hair? Right. And then they kind of phase it out of an episode. But I like the first Thor. I like the characters. I like the pompous, broad Shakespeare stuff. Pompous is probably an insulting word to use. They built their empire on blood and guts, but they yeah. pretend like they're like upper Victorian society. Right. Just like the other movies, the ice giants are not... Are they frost giants or ice giants? I thought they were called frost giants. Okay, the frost giants. The They're Elsa giants. I don't know what that means. Elsa. Oh, that's a dumb joke. The first Thor is one of those movies where it's not that great, but I kind of like it. Like, I don't really have a good defense for it, mm -hmm. but I enjoy... Thor going to Earth for the first time and like being in a diner and throwing his cup down on the ground so it explodes <laughs> and ask, asking for more. I like Kat Dennings and Natalie Portman trying to figure it out and Stellan Skarsgård is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. They introduce Hawkeye in a very brief and simple way that doesn't make the audience... Whoa! Well, it doesn't make them go, yeah. whoa, but it also doesn't confuse the people who have no idea who he is. It's done in a clear, simple way. The exploration of Loki and his feelings. I don't care about any of that. It's not great it's not even really that good but i like it i like the first thor and i, I don't do like, I, I don't yeah. have a i don't have a good explanation why you probably should tell your kid they're adopted like way before they start turning into an ice giant probably would have solved some stuff but it is kind of funny that he's the only one if i remember right who doesn't look as buff and as built as everybody else yeah he is very thin i mean he's not, loki's not yeah. a short guy but he's not a giant yeah he's clearly kind of a little different so whatever magic they you know use well i to think if this, him, yeah going back to your example of game of thrones if this was sean bean flipping through a book of, of heritage <laughs> he would wonder why loki has black hair i do like loki i understand the motivations i think that it was kind of handled obviously just for dramatic effect by the way, you're actually the child of one of our arch nemesis, but you know, well, that's beside the point. It's very Shakespearean. I mean, Case like, lineage, like, like lineage, lineage is a big part of royal histories. It does show because how Loki looks slightly smaller, not as buff. So for him to find out the real reason and probably suspect, well, how much of my life has been alive. We've seen this in a lot of other movies. I do like the motivation. I do like his reaction. I don't, you know, approve of it, obviously, going on a genocidal <laughs> rampage <laughs> is kind of not something I'm down with. I just, I, I just wish I had more to say about it. I don't I, know. <laughs> I do like Thor. I'm less interested in Thor himself and his stuff on Earth and the characters on there I find kind of annoying, honestly. I'm more interested in Loki, and that's not just because he's got the, you know, oh, he's the bad guy, but I'm more interested in what he's going through versus the brash Gaston dude getting You want the story to be about Loki. I prefer one about Loki and not Loki in the show where, like you said, he should be the villain and not this, you know, other person. I'm, oh, uh, say, I will cut Thor just because there's other movies on the list that have what I like with Loki in there better. I like it, but I don't love it. If it's on TV and it's close to a part I want to watch, I'll wait for right. it. But it's not like Guardians where I'm going to sit down and be like, oh yeah, I remember this part. This is so cool. Ant-Man, I love the way they present the shrinking and his perspective when he's mm -hmm. small. That's cool. The camera work is really well done. Unfortunately, though, Peyton Reed, he's a comedy director. Uh. The quips are fun. But it's kind of lifeless. It's lifeless when I don't I don't want to like rally behind special effects necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes CG really annoys me. But when the special effects sequences, the shrinking sequences aren't happening, the movie is not good. It's really not that great. I like Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is is amazing. Paul Rudd's great. I will never hear a bad word about that dude. Yeah, no, I love Paul Rudd. And 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 that weird that weird thing that they do when Louise is telling a story and it shows like drunk history style, yeah. all, his, <laughs> what the words he's saying like being mouthed by other people. Mm -hmm. That's very fun. Outside of sequences, which you can define how you however you want, mm -hmm. but outside of sequences, Ant Man is not great. That's totally acceptable because I'm kind of in the same boat where different parts of the sequences are fun, especially when he shrinks down. Mm -hmm. But everything kind of outside of those little parts is just feels like filler. There's only one part that I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. And that's when it's got Paul Rudd and he's like talking with his daughter and like dealing with his ex. And there's absolutely no Hollywood divorced 
romantic tension between them. Like the the point of the movie is not he's trying to earn back his ex's. Well, thank love. goodness. I'm so happy that that's is, not there. That is in so many movies with divorced parents. And at the but, end of this, he's at peace with his ex-wife and her new husband, and they're like having dinner together. Yeah. And her new husband isn't some secret jerk or something. Yeah. It's, it's more, I hate to say, lifelike and realistic in a movie like this, but they understand. It's pleasant. It's nice. It is the good guy hero realizing, hey, we work better as co-parents and not as partners. There's a reason we broke up. I'm not doing all this grand gesturing trying to save anything just to prove I'm this great guy she needs to come back to. I like Corey Stoll. He's the villain. He's the bald guy mm-hmm. in Ant-Man. But just like every other Marvel movie, yeah. almost, the villain is just sort of very simple corporate mwahaha. If he had just one extra layer of something, I don't even want to speculate. I, I, I can't come up with an <laughs> idea right now. But like, if he had just one extra layer of something to his character, I could see corporate greed being explored in a way that actually has some sort of resonance. But instead, they just mwahaha him. The fight scene at the end is really fun where they're on the Thomas the Train Engine set or (laughs) Yellow Jacket gets thrown into a bug zapper. How do they get like, I'm trying to figure out how they got the rights to Thomas the Train. That'd be kind of- (laughs) Money. Money does all sorts of things. That'd be just hilarious. But overall though, like Ant-Man is is slight. It feels like a Marvel movie, but like a diet version of a Marvel movie. Crossing it off, but again, the, the lack of the romantic tension kind of forced family thing. That's what I remember mostly about Ant-Man. You're yeah, saying that in a good way. Yeah, I love that fact because okay. in so many other movies, they always have to be a secret jerk to justify the cheating or the, the romantic kiss or something. No, in this case, Ant-Man is cool with it. And I like that because yeah. it's not something you see and it's normal and it feels nice. Right. He's not doing what he's doing to show her that she's missing out or that he he's trying to earn her love back. It's a very small story where it's kind of nice that it's not about the world ending. Sometimes simple is best, and I'll take it, but Ant-Man got across him. Let's talk about a big one. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Having a central mystery and government conspiracy plot is nice in a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. Sure, they're using punchy powers, but (laughs) it's really more about who is this Winter Soldier, what is actually going on at S.H.I.E.L.D., and it's conspiracy-minded in a way that's exciting because you have a character like Captain America who is pure of heart. He's the Boy Scout and putting him underneath, basically like employed by a government yeah. agency. Never mind that they're actually Hydra. If it's not the right thing, he's going to fight back. That's interesting. I'd say, is this the only time when I'm fine with there being a fake out death and he's actually alive with Bucky? We saw him like disappear into the snow off the train in Captain America. So we presume he's dead, but then he's alive after all this time, just been brainwashed. That fake out is plot driven. And it seems to, I hate to say makes sense, but in context, it makes sense. Well, he fell off a train. He would have died. (laughs) He fell off a train. He would have died. We assume he's dead. But when he comes back, it's not at the end of Captain America. There's not an end sequence where Bucky, you know, shows up and he's like, hey, you got a cup of cocoa for me or something. As far as everyone knows, he's dead and he stays dead for years. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, I almost wouldn't even really consider that a fake out only because the whole development of his character relies on that happening to him. So that's okay. But none of the other fake outs motivate the plot or the character necessarily. It's just a thing to do to us, to the audience. I will say, though, as cool as Bucky is, I just really hate Captain America. He He is so... You say Boy Scout and all I can say is... He is just this incredible whitewashed version of what we want the true American hero to be. Ignoring Winter Soldier for a minute, if we look at Captain America, we see him as this little scrawny dude who's got the heart of gold, who's, you know, what every American should be deep down. But they also have to modernize some of the views for him so that we still accept him as this goody two-shoes, perfect little boy. Because let's be fair here, this was in what? He got the injection in the late 30s, 40s kind of deal? Uh, it was the early 1940s, I imagine, because yeah. it was World War II. Yeah, World War II era, so... Are you saying that the real Captain America would be racist and sexist, probably, I'm because s- he was alive in the 40s? I'm saying he'd be more like Soldier Boy and less like a Boy Scout. But the thing is, he was never a soldier, though. He was never brainwashed by authority. He never became the bully. That's why, instead of picking the buff soldiers, they picked him to get the super soldier serum, because he just wanted to do the good thing, and no one would let him do it. I guess the word would be like almost flawless. I mean, so because he's flawless, like almost like Superman, he's boring. 
at least Tony Stark's a narcissist. You know, the Hulk you have to watch out for is temper. But even still, even in Winter Soldier, he goes to... He bends oh, maybe the- a Civil War. But either way, he goes to Bucky to warn him that authorities are coming and they fight a bunch of German soldiers. At that point, I'm actually more interested in Captain America because now he's bending the rules for personal gain. We see that he does have dual nature of screw the rules, I'm doing what's right versus I am right and I will do what is right even if it comes back to bite me later. I think I think what you're describing would fit more with part one. Like, let's go ahead and roll part one into this as well. So I'm not going to keep the first Avenger. Compared to the other Avengers, even like Hawkeye, Black Widow aside, because they don't, at the time, they did not have their own movies to give them the backstory. He's just so bland. Hard disagree. Super hard disagree. I I, I watch Captain America and I'm like, okay, if you're going to give someone superpowers, you don't pick the guy who's like being the bully. His thing with the, the flagpole to get the flag down. That was cool. Okay, yeah, that was that's, funny. That's very much like Mulan. I remember that part. Everything else about him is almost like too on the nose to make it interesting. Are you going to keep Winter Soldier or are you going to cross it off though? Because I'm crossing off the part one. I'm crossing off First Avenger. It's, it's enjoyable, but it's still so early in the MCU. I think they were still trying to figure out exactly what they were doing. Yeah. I like the look of the film. I like the 40 setting. I love the idea that they're trying to at least make it look different because the first Captain America movie looks different from the other Marvel movies, thankfully. Once you get into that whole second half where they're rescuing Bucky, eh, I don't know. I could I could have done without a lot of it. Red Skull just always looks kind of funny to me. I don't know if it's the CG on him, but anytime he was on the screen, all I could think about was like dollar store Halloween props. But it was mostly makeup. I think they probably used CG for the nose, but other than that, it was just makeup. It just made me look at him and start trying not to laugh. Like, wow, this is who Captain America's facing down for his first villain. Uh, see, I'm going to disagree with you again, though, because I like when movies and shows go full comic. You say dollar store, Halloween store. I like it. It's almost like when you watch Neverending Story or some old movie with practical effects. Yeah. Like, you know it's a puppet, but because it's a real puppet, it's something that's real on set. It looks good. It just adds something to it. I'm still crossing off Captain America. Oh, yeah, no, the I'm first sorry. one. He's- what about Winter Soldier, though? Because I'm keeping Winter Soldier. I think it's great. I will hold on to Winter Soldier for now, but it might drop off. So the other two are Iron Man 1 and The Incredible Hulk, the original two OG Marvel MCU movies. And The Avengers, we haven't talked about or did we? I oh, and The that. Avengers. When a lot of the names are interchangeable, it starts... We've talked about all the characters. I forgot that we <laughs> missed one of the movies. Okay, so The Avengers too. Okay. I'll say straight up, I think the first Avengers is great. I can watch it over and over and over again. And yeah, the Chitari all powering Dying down. down at the right time, that was a little yeah. dumb. But even now, even 20, what, six films later, 26, Mm -hmm. 27 Marvel films later, I still get goosebumps that first time you see Iron Man land next to Captain America. The the first time they get together and it's got the group shot, that is goosebumps, man. It's hard to kind of recreate that symbolism. We're so used to all the characters being shoved into everything now. But back then- It was awesome. The idea of a combo sequel- is super rare. It's not just a Stark movie. It's not just Captain America. It's not just this person. It's everyone interacting. And so we don't get overblown with one particular character. Right. And you get to see their personalities clash. Captain America and Tony arguing where Captain says, like, what are you without your suit? Stark has the best response ever saying, the only thing special about you came out of a bottle. But they do work to get along and it it works out great. It's kind of like the first Guardians where you have all these different people coming together. Again, not talking the sequels. They work together and they, they mm-hmm. can play off of each other. I still get joy out of seeing them together for the first time, even though it's not the first time anymore. The cheapness kind of comes through. They weren't spending as much money as they would now. Like when you watch the attack sequence on New York at the end, well, it's not low budget. They probably still spent $200 million, <laughs> but you watch it. It's, it's a little cheap, only comparatively. Like you watch it now and it just seems a little quaint compared to what they would probably do 10 years later. But it is so good still. This is the one I think where Loki has the the confrontation with the one dude and Loki says, listen, you'll bow. And the guy says, no, there's always men like you. I like it. I still think the first Avengers is one of the best MCU movies overall. That's an easy keeper. Keeping that one. I think if I remember right, the reason Edward Norton was not asked to join on with the MCU is because he was just very difficult to work with and he had a certain idea of what the Hulk was going to be like, which didn't fit with everything He else. wanted it to be more of a character study and the original cut of the film was like 240 maybe. And uh, they cut it down to keep mostly just the action stuff. So there's some character stuff that's in the trailer that's not in the movie. Yeah. And I believe he refused to uh, promote the film, like go on talk shows and stuff maybe. Mm. And so when Avengers came around, he kind of, I don't know if he directly apologized, but he said that he wanted to be in it. He told them and Marvel just said, no, thanks. 
Because no one even remembered really the Incredible Hulk, if I remember right. It's kind of been ignored up until very recently. Yeah, it's not as if Edward Norton really had anything to stand on. Like, hey, look, I am the face of this guy. It's not like Robert Downey Jr. by the time Avengers comes yeah. around. They couldn't recast him. Kevin Feige is known to avoid conflict. He considers the MCU to be a conflict-free zone. And so he's not well, going to hire... That's a good idea, At least though. currently, he's not going to hire people known to cause trouble. Especially when you're talking about working with these people for another... 10, 10 to 15 years, years with yeah. different movies. You don't want someone who's going to be like, hey, listen, what if we reshot this all, but my character looks really pensive in yeah. these scenes instead? For example, they really want Tom Cruise. They've been trying to get him for years. Really? But my guess is that he's going to have to play a one and done character because mm. there's no way they can guarantee Tom Cruise will come back. And Tom Cruise hires his own writers and directors and his own staff. Yeah, so you're going to- He gonna would have control. And so there's no way they're going to lock him down for three movies, I don't think. Incredible Hulk was fine. When you're casting for these people, for these characters, you don't cast for Iron Man, for, you know, for the Hulk. You cast them as Bruce Banner. Well, yeah, because they're going to be Stark. CG otherwise. Yeah. Like, they're well, going to be animated that, characters. In, in the case of, say, you know, Tony Stark, you cast someone who's going to be a good Tony Stark. You cast someone who will be a good Bruce Wayne. That's why I always defend George Clooney, because in Batman and Robin, he was a good Bruce Wayne. He's basically yeah. playing himself. It's just he's in the worst Batman movie. But yeah, he was a so good Bruce Wayne. Edward Norton, kind of a forgettable Bruce Banner, didn't really do much for me. The movie itself was kind of forgotten. Do you know the story of Back to the Future and how they had to recast Marty McFly? No. Okay. Eric Stoltz was Marty McFly. They realized, and it's rare, it's super rare in a Hollywood movie, but they realized that it wasn't working mm -hmm. and they fired him and they replaced him with Michael J. Fox. The story goes that Eric Stoltz was treating it too seriously. He wasn't treating it like a comedy because uh. if you look at the reality of Marty's situation, being stuck back in time, perhaps undoing his whole family's existence, that's a pretty heavy thing mm -hmm. to put on somebody. And so he was taking it in a dramatic direction. So an Incredible Hulk, Edward Norton was looking at it more from a psychological perspective of what this condition would do to somebody. That's true. And we just want to see big explosions and some booms. We want green monster smash other monster. Yeah. We don't yeah. want the, the green monster sitting there going, now, what is my proper motivation? If I could just sit down and maybe think and meditate, I'd be okay. Yeah. I don't want to discount the possibility of a dramatic movie. You could make a dramatic movie about a guy who turns into a monster that he, that he can't control. I mean, you can use that as a metaphor for alcoholism, abuse. Yeah. You can use it for all sorts of things. There is a story there. But that's not the Marvel story. Yeah, yeah, that actually might be kind of cool to see. I mean, they could have made like a Logan-style, Oscar-nominated sort of Incredible Hulk movie where this is the terror that this human goes through every day of his life. Yeah. That would be really cool. But that's not a comic book movie in the way that we want or expect it. And Marvel didn't want that. That's not the movie they wanted to make. That is very good points. I mean, you could not have the Logan movie if you didn't have the X-Men movies beforehand setting up the kind of comic book universe. If you just had the Logan movie by itself, people would be like, so this is Wolverine and he's kind of this jaded ex-fighter and I really don't It's odd see without this. history. Yeah, the history yeah. supports it. You need and Incredible Hulk, it. well, Incredible Hulk, they could have done it because we had the TV show. Like, it was a known character. The show was yeah. on for years. Marvel didn't want to make the movie that Edward Norton wanted to make. I almost never go back to it. Yeah. I never think about it. I think mostly the Ang Lee version because I won the DVD in a little raffle at work and... There was a choice between getting Finding Nemo or getting the Hulk movie. And I was so excited because I was like, okay, I'm going to get the Finding Nemo movie. It just came out. And one dude won the raffle before me. So he walks up and he took Finding Nemo. And I was like, well, why? You don't even like cartoons. You hate cartoons. And he said, yeah, but I hate that garbage even more. So I'm going to take this <laughs> magic fish movie. So I got stuck with the Ang Lee DVD. And I think I threw it in the garbage when I got home. <laughs> so we're down to just one that we haven't talked about yet. And I think it's going to be the shortest discussion because it's Iron Man 1. I think they struck gold. It's a very yes. simple origin story. Like the origin story is is like the template now. It Do is. If you watch Doctor Strange and put them side by side, it's almost the exact same character growth and, and arc as, mm -hmm. as Iron Man <laughs> 1. Robert Downey Jr. was, was perfect casting. Robert Downey Jr.'s career was faltering. And then picking him for Iron Man was, was inspired casting. It was not what you would have expected. And they lucked out. He is perfect. Of course, some corporate suit is actually the bad guy. We have one fight scene at the very end, and that's it. It's, it's like Darth Maul. But it's so interesting watching him change and become Iron Man. That's what's fun about the movie. It is a discovery movie of him becoming a better person. Mm -hmm. And it still has the explosions. It still has fighting. But I will say, beginning and end of Iron Man, 
when he's held captive. It was kind of funny because the language they speak actually is real, but it's very, only a few people in the world speak it still in certain areas of the world. Most people just heard these guys, you know, yelling and screaming. And then if you actually understood the language, you understood everything they were saying. So the kind of, not really the spoiler, but the twist was kind of revealed early on. I do love the ending. The ending scene is just perfect when he's sitting down in front of, you know, the Congress and well, the reporters. The reporters, yeah. And he just says, I am Iron Man. He says, I am Iron Man. And we're so used to the idea of secret identities. For the movie to end on that beat of, I am Iron Man. It's like That's mic drop right there. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm down with this. This is cool. So that leaves me then with Iron Man 1, Avengers 1, Captain America Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy. So I have four. I have to get rid of one. Same here. So uh, Is it the same four? Yep. Oh, well, I imagine just based on everything you've said, you're cutting Winter Soldier. I like Captain America when he's playing up other people in small doses by himself, him carrying a movie. I just hate the character. Just, uh, I can't do it. Hard, hard, hard disagree there. Oh my God. You can disagree all you want. It is your show, but maybe part of it is that politics being what it is, I'm more jaded by someone saying, oh, I mean, this is the epitome of the American spirit. When we know the epitome of the American spirit is pretty much whitewashed history. He represents an idealized version of what we could be. And so does Homelander, and look what happened with that. You're not wrong, it's just that's not the development of Captain America. I know, Captain America is who he is, the guy that plays him does great, the story is fine. (laughs) The guy who plays him, (laughs) do you not know his name? It's one of the Chris's, there's so many Chris's in Hollywood. I'll take it, that's fine. While I don't agree with what you said about Captain America, I am torn between Winter Soldier and Iron Man. I said a lot of positive things about Iron Man, and I'm going to stand by those, but between the four, I'm going to cut the first Iron Man. Wow, you're cutting the gold standard there. It set the template, it enabled them to make the other ones, and it started the superhero genre, for better or worse, let's be fair. Well, it rebooted the superhero genre. It showed us that we could actually have good movies. I'm not saying like X-Men 2 or Blade aren't good, because they are, but there was so much garbage up until then. Iron Man came out and was pretty much, maybe not universally loved, but they had fun with the characters. Like you said, the villain's kind of just a little side note. It's more about Iron Man's discovery of himself and moving through the personal journey. Yeah, and but I don't a, have a problem with it. Yeah, the hero I, these are story four good movies. great. Yeah, and these are four good movies and I can only keep three. So I have to cut one. I mean, you can put four great steaks in front of me. If I can only eat three, I got to get rid of one of them. That's true. That's true. Oh man, I really want steak. That sounds good. So yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and cross off Iron Man 1. And again, no offense to it. It's a good movie. So what are your three, Tara? All right, my three, The Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Iron Man. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers, and Captain America, The Winter Soldier. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram. You can find us there. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.